Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. And uh, today we're going to be taking a look at some Akira Toriyama works. But first, Jimmy and I are going to be doing some traveling in October. CXC, Cartoon Crossroads Columbus, October 6th through 9th. We're going to be at Baltimore Comic Con, October 28th through 30th. Of course, we're going to be coming armed with our entire bibliographies. Uh, to these various festivals, man. So stop by and, and fill in the gaps in your collections. In the middle there, man, October 22nd, Jimmy's going to be at the Jacksonville Public Library uh, for a zine festival, and he will be the man of the hour, so he'll be doing some talks and presentations uh, for, for everybody there. And these uh, videos are brought to you by the comic books that we make. What I'm saying is, you support our books, and we're able to uh, continue bringing you these vids. Uh, Jimmy has worked on Hulk Grand Design, uh, this past year and a half, two years or so, man, uh, it will be collected at the end of this year, 2022, around Christmas time, man, but you'll have enough time to order it and have it uh, underneath that Christmas tree, so make sure you do so. It's going to be that uh, treasury size format, big book, fluorescent inks on the cover, and back in print is Street Angel, Deadliest Girl Alive, uh, collecting all of Jimmy's uh, image comics, uh, Street Angel books, so make sure you get your hands on that. Red Room Trigger Warnings, trade paperback is going to be hitting the stands in uh, September 2022, collecting all four issues of the Trigger Warning stuff that came out this year, plus about 70 pages of extra material, back matter, director's commentary, uh, fresh artwork was constructed for this, and a whole new comic that you're going to be able to read in its kind of proto stage. Uh, if you have uh, the anti-social network it's a good companion piece to that and uh, if you glance through the anti-social network you'll, you'll see what I mean in regards to the extra materials involved uh, so without further ado let's take a look at uh, the massive hardcover all three manga theaters from uh, throughout the 80s and early 90s that collect uh, a big chunk of Toriyama's works that are not Dr. Slump Dragon Ball or Sandland and uh, I discovered uh, Dragon Ball from Shonen Jump in the early 90s thanks to my pops doing some world travels brought back some Shonen Jump and it was like one of the only titles that you can read inside there and certainly got the cover treatment and as I became a bigger and bigger fan of his works and you read that you would read that you know he has this entire bibliography that's way beyond you know, just the, those popular works. I always wanted to see them. They were never published in, in America, and they're all collected here. And it is it is a sight to behold. There's so much inspiration that I get from this, Jimmy, because the first volume, which would be like the first, say, 200 pages, we're not really uh, able to go through this very much because there are whole YouTube channels that got completely taken down for showing two like just copyright laws and stuff are way different in Japan so we can't really be going through this thing page by page but I do have some markers uh, of things that we can check out and not get in trouble with copyright. I feel like it's a beautifully designed book too. Viz is one of the the better designers you know uh, we talk about the design evolving over time in comics yeah Viz has been at the front of that evolution for a while yeah, yeah, they certainly grew into their own, and they and they they got good good people on the team, yes. no doubt. So this first volume uh, encompasses a lot of his earliest works, stuff that uh, showed up kind of before uh, 
Dr. Slump and during Dr. Slump. So uh, Wonder Island, these first two um, pieces from 1979. Wow. So we're getting to see like, you know, what his art looked like at this at this level. And it has all the hallmarks from this one page. It has all the hallmarks of the chibi kind of style that, that he brought to comics. Um, going through this this book, it, it made me sort of realize like his evolution building on top of like Osama Tezuka or that um, guy who did Cyborg 009, where they would have these cartoon shapes, like very simple lines built with circles and tubes. Yeah. But they felt kind of prototypical. You know, it's just a cylinder he's able to manipulate that stuff and add some real life and beauty and it's hard to explain what that is but it's something i've been studying a lot it makes total sense to me what you're describing because that page is stunning this book's been on my list for a while and i haven't bought one i'll probably, yeah. probably buy it before this episode goes live now uh, but it encapsulates like that page it's a simple page but it looks so great and it is a slightly different style than i don't know a lot of the comics that i look at yeah and i find that style very attractive so another cool piece to these books is that um sort of buttressing a lot of the stories is uh his own kind of commentary his own kind of commentary where it's a fresh piece done for these volumes kind of autobiographical describing where he was what his headspace was what he was into what the circumstances involved uh, in making these comics. Man, I love that. Are. That's such a nice piece to have access to. So this piece here, which is really cool, that must be common in manga because I've seen collections of manga where you get little like interstitial stuff like that. Right. Um, this, this one, he was invited to do a kind of a, uh, a one shot, like a 45 pager. And he wasn't doing 45 pagers up to that point. Uh, so, you know, they have constant contests, even yes. for the actual mangaka, like you can do an extra 45 pager to be in the runnings for like a reader's choice award yeah. out there. And you have to do that on top of your other works. So he was invited to do a piece for that. I think he won with this story, Polo and, and Royd, but he describes in, uh, in this autobiographical piece that he used what he calls an autograph pen which I think he didn't have the time to use a G pen, dip pen. Yeah. I'm thinking just a fine liner, like a Copic or something. And you see the boldness, you know, you see the kind of deadline, but it looks amazing. Right. It looks really cool. Right. Great vehicle designer, this guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's an amazing vehicle. So 1980 and, and at the end of each one, you see the dates that these, mm -hmm. that these works are created. I appreciate that. So he starts Dr. Slump 1980. So he's already on Dr. Slump after about 13 weeks of doing Dr. Slump. He was done with it. He didn't want to do that anymore. Uh, after 13 weeks, he did about 235 <laughs> weeks worth of that strip. Yeah. So they told him, listen, you are not allowed to stop doing Dr. Slump unless or until you come up with something that could be a regular feature and, and sort of take its place. Also, when Dr. Slump comes out as a manga, about, I think, a 18 volumes, something like that, 35 million copies of that. And it got 
an anime that was that I think to this day is considered like the third most watched anime and it had a very specific time slot uh, on TV and Akira Toriyama held that time slot with new programming for over 18 years between Dr. Slump, Dragon Ball and other like little things like like he owned that section of a person's day for 18 years. This drawing language to me is, is great. It feels like Crack and Mad and Sergio Aragones. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is it's cartoon. Like yes. This is totally cartoon lines and language. Yes. And I think his like little autobio pieces, uh, so funny. I think that that's, you know, Tezuka brings that in the comics. Mm -hmm. But uh, Masamuni Shiro has his way of drawing his little self. Uh, this is how Akira Toriyama draws himself. Mm -hmm. um, when he does... Uh, Dr. Slump, and he's like, I need to do something else. Like, I'm bored with this comic. I want to do something else. He submits more than 500 pages worth of material to the editor that either shows up as one-shots, and some of that is in here, or is wholly rejected, probably at the name stage. You know, it's probably yeah. not completely finished work. But over 500 pages worth of material... Um, some more examples of this is sort of the work that he would do when he's trying to figure out what could be a good hook for another series. Now, all this stuff is done with the idea of expanding it. And there we go, showing too much shit of expanding it into a um, series, a series. Yes. When you read them, I read a, a, the bulk of this book. They're missing pieces like they don't feel like they have what it takes to be a long-lasting thing. When you read chapter one, episode one of Dr. Slump, it hits. Yeah. You just feel it. You just feel it. And as an editor, I think if you read enough of that stuff, you, you know it when you seize it, you know? And so none of these exactly have it. It'd be they, amazing to go through this with an editor. Yeah. And, and, and see what they see. Right. Or, or what they don't see, you know? Like, what is missing from this that Dr. Slump has? Yeah, yeah. Um, the Dr. Slump thing, what he described it as like kind of like a uh, West Coast, California kind of aesthetic and style and, and sensibility. And he wanted to do something more Asian, more uh, start to lean toward the Chinese. So while he's doing Dr. Slump, 1980 to like 83, 84, and, and trying to figure out his exit strategy. And that's what basically like all this material is. He happened on to uh, put this little piece together. Two or three one-shots of a comic called Dragon Boy. That was the shit. Yes. That was the shit. This is not Dragon Ball. Uh, it kind of tells a little bit of the story of like the Monkey Boy, all that kind of shit. But we're getting there. He was already watching Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan movies. And his editor was like, why don't you, why don't you go in that direction a little bit? Even when he starts Dragon Ball, it's not, it's like three, four, or five volumes before they even get to like the first karate tournament, which is the thing that really like propelled it yes. into what it, it was like a questing manga. Seven Dragon Balls, you got to get them all, get them together. You get to like ask for a wish or something. A bunch of competing forces that know about that, that are also trying to get it. Like it's a questing manga and then it becomes this kind of thing. So it takes them years, man, to finally hit on this ends up uh putting these out they're a hit with with the uh, audience because the, in the shonen manga the weekly manga that come out 
there's that little questionnaire that the manga readers are invited right. to participate in where you get to sort of catalog like be, your favorite to the least favorite yes and some of this shit that he does like when he submits these old stories they're these these are last placers you know so it's like it's last placers for a that. while uh, it's incredible that you stay motivated yes. to, to continue doing it. And then his shit starts to hit and become first placers. And the fact know. that there's this many stories, I feel like speaks to how you overcome a last place finish. Yeah. And it is that months before those survey results come in, you've drawn 14 more stories. Yes. You know, like you just keep moving forward where it's like, if you have a bomb, it's not a big deal. Hey, I want to mention something about lettering. Cause we often point out like uh, digital lettering and complain about it. I like what they're doing with the lettering. One, this is kind of a bouncy, cartoony style. I think it's complimentary. And that's what I always say about digital lettering is just consider it. Yes. And then the nice thing is, this is lettering that denotes his words. Yeah. So, you know, like you're seeing a couple of different fonts applied here, but with purpose. Like and one identifies, you know, one means one thing, one means another, and then it's a matter of whether it pairs up with the line art. And it's throughout the whole book. You get a bunch of different fonts and a bunch of different typography treatments. And things and there is some stuff in here where it's like really cool word balloons that are interacting with the panels and one of the things that his editor dug about his work early on was that he was using roman characters onomatopoeia rather than interesting uh now he didn't always do that yeah but at that stage it set him apart from other people and even though his shit was always last place it's kind of like um like dave letterman had like three shows before he was on after johnny carson he had a daytime show. He was a part of like that Willard Scott shit too, because he had like a high Q rating and and like look and people like liked right. him, but they couldn't figure out his his lane until they did, and he owned it. Toriyama was at the front of that book, man. There, like One Piece would not be a number one thing if Akira Toriyama didn't put the pen down, and allow for like young young bucks to come in and 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 and, sh and show off, man. Once again, like. Almost after every strip, he has a little yeah, autobiographical cool. piece that I think is very valuable. It's very inspiring in a setting like this. Another one of these just great examples of not only is he a great cartoonist, I think of him as kind of like a one-stop shop, like a complete Walt Disney studio in one because he creates attractive boy characters, girl characters, settings. When he He's not limited to like the things he's most popular for. Like He's able to flex and do a bunch of different um eras and subject matters and things uh but his design acumen it makes sense that video games would come calling for him to to design new shit because everything looks cool i feel like there are a lot of manga artists that have this skill set and it's because they're drawing so much they're seeing it in the same page size and format thousands and thousands of times and so you hone that you know like whenever whenever you look at something like Atomo has a similar skill set different style but th that thing where it's like he can do standalone illustrations that are gorgeous he can do sequentials that are gorgeous he can design characters and vehicles and all this stuff and i think that these guys who have 10,000 pages 20,000 pages uh you know in, in in a few years you know in a decade or something that kind of uh it's a robust skill set that you have to possess to get to that level yeah and you hone it in all these different ways you know like when you're doing your sequentials or you're doing your stories or you're coming up with new new characters you're working on vehicles you're working on designs of these characters and i think that 
you almost take it for granted. Like I feel like cartoonists in America do this where it's like, if you stopped and thought about what we do, it's like you write more than 99% of the people out there. You do composition, you do all these different things. But we just think like, oh, I do comics and you know, that's a small little industry and it is, but that's not all you do is the thing. Like you have to develop these other skill sets, even if you're not conscious about it, just the process of making thousands of pages, you end up doing designs for all of these vehicles and settings and locations and people and you know, it pays off. Yes. Like this is, this is so many hours of repetition. Again, this is the hundred thousand hours. This is not your 10,000 hours that Malcolm Gladwell talks about. This is a hundred thousand hours of work. Yeah, absolutely. And with all that said, so much manga cut is so much manga is assembly line driven and you have a staff. He's never had more than an assistant or two helping him. That's so, remarkable. So this is him. Yeah. This isn't Joe Schmo who does the cool vehicles in my manga. Like this is Toriyama. Most he says that most of the um in fact he gets like dissed by the editors for, for being hacky and, and for being too too quick and, and scribbly and stuff. But uh most of his assistance is with uh spotting blacks interesting like just because he's I was gonna say he's, cutting screen tone because he's well geez. you know what like there's there's screen tone here for this piece but you will notice that there's almost no screen tone in any of his stuff uh if you remember in dragon ball there's the super saiyans and they're the they, you turn blonde that's just so you don't have to fill in <laughs> the black because that he, he's using one tool drawing the shit and then passes it to the guy to to spot the blacks in in, in his works um, this goes pretty far, you know, like it goes into the 90s and then the last story uh, in here, which would have been in the third volume of the Japanese uh, manga theater, is a multi-part, like 10, 13 part Gogo Ackman. So you get a complete version of that. I was kind of hoping that they would also include uh, Sandland, which was serialized in Shonen Jump when I started doing that in America. Um, it has one Tankobon. That's kind of expensive right now, but uh, is another like complete work that's about of this level, maybe a couple couple fifty pages more or something. But it's very comprehensive from 1979 to 1994, collecting a big chunk of his work. So many one shots that uh, just you know were printed once in in uh, these various sh fresh weekly, Shonen Jump weekly, and. I enjoy seeing that kind of uh, manga story yes. because so much manga we see in these collections, right. the Tankobon, and it's like to see like the, to break them down as this is one chapter of it and see what you get, I think is really instructive and almost comparable to say an issue of a comic book. Yeah. And I like seeing that, like almost how much do you pack into one installment? Yes. And, and one of the cool things that he does, like, uh, like every time is he sets up the characters really well they have personality immediately you don't confuse one person's dialogue balloon with somebody else's because of the character that that he creates uh you have to be quick with it you know like like you almost fall into stereotype in a certain way but he handles things great and it all reads you know what the stakes are in every one of these pieces and you see how it shapes up to potentially be a bigger series if it connects these early rounds they do feel rough in terms of the reading experience the cartooning is always on point but they are all missing a little something that sometimes the series that a cartoonist makes 
still has those growing pains also. Absolutely. Where it eventually they the the the, the common wisdom is like by volume three it is what it is that means after 30 weeks worth of strip making right if if, if it becomes what it is after a year of creation um but very inspiring to me i encourage everybody to check this out i find this kind of like short manga work instructive with the idea of creator own work here in yeah. america yeah um i've been reading tezuka i have the crater and yeah. it's like a i think 30 page stories a bunch yeah. of like one shots and it's the same deal it's almost like it's so different than a lot of manga that, you know, is set up to be read as like this huge multi-volume piece. But it's also instructive in exactly what you said. Like, here's a new set of characters. Let me make sure you know what is at stake, what they're after. And how do you do that? You know, like, like these guys who are master storytellers, but also master storytellers in a format that's usually serialized. Like, let's see one piece. Yes. Yeah. That's cool. And they all kind of hit in their own, uh, their own ways, man. Anyhow, I could talk about this for a long time. I encourage everybody to go out, buy a copy of Manga Theater. Uh, I, I'm having such a ball reading this thing. I have one more note on manga, and it is that in this age of digital lettering, this really is like one of the first uh, the, the first people that were concerned about that, right? Yes. Because like, as you're bringing manga in here, you've got to do something with lettering. And early on, we would see like Studio Proteus doing hand lettering, Wayne, Wayne Truman, Tim Truman's brother, right. doing some of that stuff. But you also see very different approaches to putting lettering on top of this comic. And I feel like if you're a cartoonist and, and you're making your own comics, you can learn a lot from that because they've got decades of it now at this point here in America of trying to uh, figure out how best to letter pre-existing artwork. You know something? I'm, I'm glad we're still recording because there was one piece that I wanted to build in a little bit earlier, but uh, we'll get it better late than never, man. And I was looking up the numbers uh, for Dragon Ball and how popular it is, how many copies out there and all that stuff, man. Uh, in Japan alone... 160 million copies Whew. spread across 42 volumes so you know it's what three million a copy something <laughs> like that four million a copy yeah maybe four million and uh the population of japan 100 uh 129 million or something like that and if you look on the wikipedia there's a breakdown for countries like there's almost there's like almost 300 million dragon ball comics out there in the world second place i think is like in uh, korea but where america comes in with a population of about 325 million people across 42 volumes of the series at large plus the many iterations of like the other versions we have 2.1 million hmm. and i don't find that heartening and like i think it speaks to a kind of like an illiteracy in terms of comics or probably everything here in the states with where we have double the fucking body count and such a small if for how popular dragon ball is that's a very low number to me spread across 42 volumes of stuff plus different iterations of those 42 volumes that's yeah. pretty low look if you look up um reading habits of american adults <laughs> I mean, it's depressing. Right. Like, like I've seen stuff where it's like, you know, the number of people that read one book after yeah. high school or after college or whatever. And I mean, it's minority. Yeah. You know, it's it's a small percentage that read a book. Yeah. Um, it's it's disappointing. But, you know, like the heartening part is we have access to it, at least. Yeah. If you want to read this stuff, you can go out and find it. Um, I wish more people read anything, read anything, you know, but 
Uh, it's the world we live in for whatever reason. And I mean, that's beyond, it's beyond cartoonist kayfabe to figure out to solve that mystery. Yeah. But, uh, and that's not my interest, but my interest is as a person making books, if Akira Toriyama can only sell 2 million Dragon Ball comics here in the States, we got uphill battles personally as, as comic creators. I you think got, you that is true. I think that's real true uh, in comics in general. I think if you look at a lot of what we think of as perennial sellers and stuff, it's surprising the numbers that they actually sell. Yeah, I, I, I've heard some numbers on Watchmen, and now they're escaping me. But it was, it was much lower than I thought. Because yeah. with a book that I don't know, there's thirty something printings of that thing or whatever. It's it's not as high as I would have hoped. Right. Um, you know, I'm sure that uh, Dragon Ball is is crushing almost everything, which maybe does make this more depressing that's what when I'm you talking think about. about it that way. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking uh, about. Yeah, it's it's tough. I wish more people in America read so. I hate to say it early, but read more comics, everybody. <laughs> you good to go, Jimmy? I am. Okay, favors like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell. We'll notify you when new vids are available. Jimmy, what's out there? It's time to order Hulk Grand Design, the collection. It's oversized. It's fluorescent green. You're going to want it under your Christmas tree and under your friend's Christmas tree. So pre-order it now wherever you get books. Street Angel, Deadliest Girl Alive, the best comics I ever made, are back in print from Image Comics. Again, get it wherever you order books. And uh, join me on patreon.com slash jimrug where you can see a lot more of my comics making and art and download some out-of-print comics and zines. Red Room Trigger Warnings hit and stands. September 2022, Murder on the Dark Web for Fun and Profit is the name of the game in Red Room Comics. Uh, banned in 28 countries, banned in more than 10 comic shops. So hit up my link tree in the description below this video to put in your orders and pre-orders for current and future Red Room Comics. You can also hit up my Patreon and read... Uh, Red Room Comics that haven't hit paper yet. They won't hit paper yet f until 2023. Uh, three, three bucks for that archive. More than uh, 300 pages worth of material is up there. Put up new strips every Tuesday. What else do we have out there, Jimmy? Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts and merchandise at the links below this video. Another great way to support the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. Giving those marching orders, Jimmy. We'll be on our way. Read more manga.